You join me for the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Gracious, gift-giving God, we come eager and ready to receive. We welcome your gifts and strive to accept with humble hearts all you offer. Reveal to us where you already are, what work you have already done, and where you are inviting us to simply receive. We open our hearts, minds, and lives to your truth revealed in Holy Scripture. Amen. Our message today comes from Ezekiel 37, 1-10. Hear these words. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them, There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet a vast multitude. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to say how excited I am to be preaching from Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the prophet, most voted by his high school class, most likely to have used hallucinogenics, right? Wheel in a wheel, Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle. Okay, we'll sing later, but that's good. Um, Yeah, yeah, Ezekiel, because nothing says Christmas like dry bones. Ezekiel, because prophets are great on the fourth Sunday of Advent. Ezekiel, it's my, it's my text to preach today. So growing up as a little kid, eight, nine years old, Christmas break started by piling all into the car. Uh, the one that I remember was a 1979 Caprice Classic station wagon, all metal. And it had the perk, because I was the, the, babe, the you know, little brother, the perk that I got to sat, sit in the back of the station wagon, which that had that cool rear-facing seat, you know, so that you can see the you know, rear-end collision coming right at you, right? Um, people ask why I'm an anxious person, you know? Um, but we would pile into the family roadster and we would head off from Cocoa Beach, Florida to Jasper, Alabama, which if you're counting is about 10 hours if you go the speed limit. Um, and so we would arrive at my grandparents, um, my mother's parents. And while in uh, Jasper, Alabama, um, it's kind of like when in Rome, do as the Romans do, 
right? So when at grandmother and grandfather's house, you do what they do, right? Which I was so annoyed because there was a perfectly good TV, but it never got turned on unless granddad turned it on. And he only turned it on for the nightly news and you guessed it, Wheel of Fortune, right? Um, also, the other kind of rules of the road at uh, my grandparents' house um, <clears throat> was that if it was good weather, you were outside. Like the whole family was outside. They had acres of land and they had trails that went through it. There was a, a pond um, uh, where there were fish. And what was amazing is the fish would um, uh, come to the surface if you called them. I've never seen another pond like that in my whole life. You, you had to say, here, fishy, fishy, fishy and there they'd come, right? There was a garden, like not just like a couple of raised beds, but like rows and rows of stuff. And it wasn't just a garden in the summer, they were fancy gardeners. They would garden all throughout the year. And so you could go out and pull a carrot or uh, find lettuce or who knows what. And if you couldn't be outside, then at least you wanted to be in granddad's shop. Uh, Granddad's career was essentially a shop teacher. Um, He uh, had all the things in his shop that you'd imagine, right? He could do metalworking. He could do woodworking. Um, He had a lathe that he would turn um, and make furniture legs out of. It was just beautiful, right? Anyways, I'm deviating from my notes here. Um, But the point to say is that we spent the week there for Christmas, Um, And again, in their house, their rules, right? One of the things that was really weird was that um, breakfast was served at 6 a.m. Because you had to get up and get fueled to get out and to do stuff, you know, outside, right? But you always stopped at 10 a.m. And I never understood this. 10 a.m. was tea. And I thought, really? And so, yeah, but tea worked really well for the eight-year-old me because usually there was a sweet with your tea. And so I was like, let's go. It's time for tea, right? And then you'd um, possibly eat uh, lunch around 12 and maybe dinner around 3. But dinner was really for people who were weak and, you know, couldn't handle all the hard uh, uh, labor outside, right? Um, And then you didn't sit at the table again. It was fascinating, right? Um, um, You know, growing up, we didn't sit at the table. The table was where you stacked stuff. But anyways, um, so interesting rules at grandmother and grandfather's house. One of the things that was interesting was the Christmas tree was in the formal living room. I always thought that adjective was strange. If you have a formal living room, you probably should have an informal living room. But anyways, consistency sometimes gets the best of me. Um, And in that formal living room, there was a beautiful Christmas tree with lights and ornaments. Now, these aren't the ornaments that all match. Like, I've seen some of your Christmas trees. They are amazing. And they pick a particular color scheme, and it's all throughout the tree. And then some of you kind of brag because you then wrap all the presents in the same color. Who has the time for that? But anyways, um, this was a beautiful Christmas tree with Um, all very precious ornaments, right? Not necessarily the one that you brought home from preschool, which was the the nutshell with the, the, uh, oh my gosh, the fuzzy wire things that you bend. Pipe cleaners that looked like the baby Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, these were crystal and beautiful. Another thing about the formal living room is that it had all the presents. Another thing about the formal living room is that it had beautiful furniture that was so precious and important that there was plastic on it. And I have to tell you, I was a kid that loved to be in the room where the presents and the Christmas tree were. 
And, and I just couldn't understand. One time when no one was hanging around, do you know what I did? Pulled back that, that plastic and fell to the couch. I thought, that's a wonderful couch. Why can't we sit on that? Just no idea, right? Sometimes um, at, at grandmother and granddad's, um, there was great excitement to happen. But one of the things you always had to be careful was you didn't go into the living room without somebody with you. Because you wanted a witness um, if something fell and broke. <laughs> um, but regardless with all the restrictions, that morning of Christmas was always beautiful and exciting, and that formalness of the living room uh, slipped away. Our scripture today um, is about what can be. Our scripture today is about what might happen if we weren't arm's distance kept from all the good things in our lives. Our scripture today tells the story of a valley of dry bones that comes to life. Now, um, again, you've already heard me say that, you know, nothing says Christmas like dry bones. Um, but let me go through uh, some of the scripture here because um, uh, Ezekiel, you kind of need a tour guide as you go through Ezekiel. And so remember when a prophet shows up at your house, it's never a good thing, right? I just want every time you read from a prophet in scripture, I want you to say to yourself, when a prophet shows up, it's never good. It'll get better, but it's never good, right? So Ezekiel has been told um, to prophesy. Ezekiel is prophesying during the exiles of Israel. To be an Israelite was to love the land that you'd been given, right? The land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan, the promised land. You remember these words, right? The exile was when Israel had done so many things wrong that God said, oh my gosh, I'm done. It's time for you to learn on your own. And they, it, God kicks them out of the promised land. And so here, um, Ezekiel is prophesying. You get the idea why it's bad before it gets good, right? You've been bad. This is like, the prophet is like the little brother that shows up to remind the teenage um, sibling uh, who stayed out past curfew, you didn't do right, and mom and dad grounded you, right? It's kind of, an, you're not gonna laugh at that. All right, we're gonna keep going. So uh, what Ezekiel is doing is prophesying to the people of Israel before they've had a chance to get back into the land of Israel. And so these words are really important to the people of Israel because the land equals God's favor and God's favor equals salvation. And so these words are critical words for them to listen to. And so as we go through, um, we're in a valley, right? Not a peaceful, quiet, calm valley. No, we're in a valley filled with bones, okay? Um, and you get the impression in the scripture passage that there was a slaughter here. Now, there was another prophet that was uh, prophesying at the same time, Jeremiah, you might've heard of him. Jeremiah prophesied that the army of Israel would be slaughtered by the Babylonians. And so if you're connecting these two images together, um, Ezekiel saying, this is, um, this is where your army died. Right? This is where everything went wrong. Um, as uh, uh, Ezekiel gets a tour of the valley, we would know that a valley, though peaceful and wonderful um, in imagery, uh, for an army to be stuck in a valley meant that you had no tactical advantage. Right? We even have the psalmist that talks about our help comes from the Lord who is on high. Right? Um, and so here it would have been just a horrible slaughter for these folk. And the fact that the bones are um, out, um, dried, 
um, exposed uh, would have meant this was probably a battle because soldiers don't bury uh, the opposing army's um, people. Uh, they leave them there exposed uh, as evidence to others that you really don't want to cross us because uh, we're mighty. Now, uh, God says uh, to Ezekiel, says, can these bones live? I really want everybody who's um, um, having to answer questions about curfew or about Christmas lists or preparations, pay attention here. Ezekiel's brilliant, right? God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? All right, we're going to say that there's one answer which is yes, and one answer that is no, right? Yes is, hey, you've been paying attention. God can do all things, right? But then it's kind of like, oh, but I'm telling you, God, that you will make them uh, alive. No, that's not a good answer, right? If the prophet's already there, you really don't want to look like, you know, you don't think God can do the job. And, and so a little bit, uh, you know, how do we go? Yes or no? Ezekiel says, you know, God. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, right? It's not like a, yes, you can do it, but you know. Um, and so he kind of hits the middle of the road. And God then begins telling Ezekiel how these bones are going to live. Now, um, the New Testament is all about resurrection. Can we agree with that? all about resurrection, all about the resurrection of Jesus. You get the resurrection of Lazarus. You get a, a number of places and spaces where new life is talked about. Now, the Old Testament, there's one or two stories of resurrection, right? One or two, um, often uh, quoted as um, Elijah uh, with the woman who raises her son who dies, and then uh, Elisha who raises the uh, Shudamite woman's son as well. Um, both there in Kings, First and Second Kings. But both of these examples of God raising someone from the dead, it's pretty recent, right? We've not let a lot of time go by, right? These, these uh, sons have died, and it's like the next day the prophet's there and raises them to death. We're not having to deal with skeletons. We're not having to find sinews. We're not having to figure out how flesh and skin and breath come back. Right? And so this is a, a pretty exciting um, proposition that God could speak to the bones and bring them back to life. As you look at the scripture passage, it says first that sinews will come upon the bones and they will connect back up, right? If you remember the great VBS song, the shin bones connected to the thigh bone and the thigh bones connected to the um, so that's what's happening. And the prophet says there's a great rattling that happens. After the bones are organized in the right way, then um, flesh comes onto the bones, muscles to be able to move them. And after the muscles, then the skin to cover them. Now, if we stop the process right here, we went from dry bones to dead bodies. We've not yet gotten life out of this valley of dry bones. And so that's when God says, prophesy to the breath. Now, every time you see the breath in the Old Testament, I want you to think, is this about um, someone's breath, the wind, or the spirit of God, right? And usually contextual clues will tell you, right? Um, you know, a, a great wind is blowing. Um, that wind, breath, right? It's the same word, ruach, um, you kind of have to spit when you say it. You have to get that C-H at the end, ruach, right? 
Um, but it's either breath, someone's breath, um, the wind, or God's spirit. And so with, uh, with dead bodies, Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the breath. Now, now, is it prophesied to the wind? Later on, um, it's said that the four winds of the earth gathered together. Is that wind or is that God's spirit? And so you get this um, pulling of the breath and the wind and the spirit together. And that's what makes the difference. That's what changes the dry bones to a dead body, to a living group of people Now, why in the world would we make a big deal about the breath? Well, we'd make a big deal about the breath because if you remember to Genesis chapter 2, that whole story, right? Um, God gathers the clay together, forms the clay into Adam, and then what does he do? He breathes into Adam, and Adam has life. Uh, This breathing of life, right? We can do a whole lot of things. Uh, We can play Mary Shelley's Frankenstein all day long, uh, but at the end of the day, the ability to make life happen is something that God brings. God brings and breathes life into them. This is a powerful story. If you were an Israelite at those times, you'd be like, yeah, you know, if it was appropriate, you'd have like one of those big foam number ones. You'd be like, we're number one, right? Because God's bringing you back to life. If you're an Israelite, this was an exciting story. It was a story of hope, the story of resurrection. Now, um, I want you to count, because I know a lot of us are analytical. So if you count 10 times in the scripture, God promises to do something about the dry bones, something to bring them to life. I'll cause breath to enter you. I'll lay sinews on you. I'll uh, cause flesh to come upon you. I'll cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. Even repeats himself if necessary. I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you up from your graves. Uh, I will uh, bring you back to your land. I got to flip the page. Um, There we go. Um, I will put spirit within you and I will place you on your own soil. Ten times. God says to Ezekiel, I'm going to bring you back to life. Though everything looks uh, desolate and hopeless, God says over and over again, I'm going to bring you back to life. No matter what Ezekiel thought was looming out there, no matter what the Israelites thought about how they'd been uh, uh, kicked off the land, God is reminding you, I'll bring life back to you. Um, This uh, message of wholeness and promise, right? Ten times God is saying, I'm going to bring you home. Ten times God promises that the dry bones of that valley are no longer Israel's final reality. Throughout those ten promises, at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the passage, God says, and you shall live. I wonder, is our land a land of dry bones? Can't be possible. We live in one of those abundant countries in the world. Is our land a land of dry bones? Can't be. We are a people who are free. Is our land a land of dry bones? Maybe. I mean, depression and mental health issues are the highest that they are, um, that they have been in recent memory. Um, There is more conflict in relationships. Uh, Growing up, I never imagined that people would fly flags um, from um, their vehicles, and I'd never imagined the messages that they would put on them. 
Um, there is more conflict in our world than you could imagine. Is our land a land of dry bones? It seems like there's lots of emptiness and unhappiness in the world. We talk about this being the most happiest time of the year, but yet we also plan for a blue Christmas service, which will be Tuesday night, for those who haven't really found the joy in the last 12 months worth of experience. Are we a land of dry bones? Are our bones dry because we have forgotten to hear the word of the Lord? I think what allows for the breath of God to breathe into us is that we begin to be open to change. We begin to uh, see folk who are not like us, uh, not as a threat to us, but as a chance to learn and to grow. That when we are open to the breath of God, uh, we are open to the hope. Uh, We're open to the love, open to the forgiveness that's possible. Uh, Things get dry um, when we close ourselves off. Things get dry when we decide there is nothing better than what's already here. Things get dry when we decide that God is interested in other people, not in my people. I think it's interesting in our scripture passage that it says um, to, to receive the breath you have to hear the word of God. Hear the word of God. Not necessarily read it, right? We're talking about Ezekiel's people. They were not very literate. Um, But this idea of hearing it, how do you hear the word of God in an illiterate society? You hear it because someone says it to you. Someone reads it to you. You hear it in your heart. You see it in the world around you. You hear that God has not forgotten you. God has not left you that God is coming to you to bring new life. I love this idea of the rattling that comes together in the dry bones, right? Could you imagine being near, I mean, you know, I don't know, within the range of uh, hearing the valley of dry bones? And there is this eerie, like knocking and rattling and clunking. What is that noise? It's not something I've ever heard. That rattling It sounds like faith, hope, and love. That rattling sounds like courage and a refusal to be be ruled by fear. That rattling sounds like people praying, sounds like people singing, sounds like people who have captured and been inspired by the breath of God. What does that rattling sound like to you? It occurs to me that there's a difference between being alive and living. The difference between being alive and living. To be alive is to breathe. It's respiration. It's uh, beep, beeps on the ICU monitor. Um, being alive means um, that the synapses in the brain are firing. But living, living means you're someplace where something can take your breath away with excitement, where you can uh, fall into love, where you can find forgiveness. To be alive is to have uh, brain activity, but to live is to use your brain to laugh and love and learn and forgive. To be alive is to be safe and comfortable. To live is to take risks, to sacrifice for others. To be alive sometimes just means staying right where you are, but to live is to be willing to give up the ordinary for the adventure. Advent is all about expectation. And if we were really waiting for a baby to be born, and this was the last week, 
Yeah, there'd be a lot of expectation. There'd be a lot of living to do. There'd be a lot of hope and promise. Ezekiel says, when things look their bleakest, God is working to bring hope and new life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.